appreciate uh, Joe's um, introduction. Uh, it's a beautiful morning uh, in Fairhope. Uh, I'm here on my patio with my good friends uh, Paul and John. And one of the guys asked, well, where's Ringo? We got Paul, John, and we're just missing Ringo. Um, but I'm glad to have my uh, brothers, my friends uh, here uh, with us and uh, look forward to our time uh, together. Uh, I want to offer you a song, uh, as we always do, uh, to begin. And um, I would just say, again, as we continue to go through our series, Into the Wilderness, and actually be um, in the wilderness uh, ourselves, working through this uh, virus plague uh, across the world, uh, that I trust that you are engaging in more music. Um, music is the language of the heart. Um, uh, David modeled that uh, for us uh, in Psalms, and we are continually uh, invited into uh, uh, seeing and hearing with the eyes of our heart. So a song that I'd never heard, and uh, I would guess that uh, uh, most of you have never heard this, but it's really powerful, and I would say we're going to go to church this morning. This is one of those go-to-church uh, songs. And uh, the title of it is My World Needs You uh, by Kirk Franklin. Let me just read to you just, just the first stanza. Show me your face. Fill up this space. My world needs you right now. My world needs you right now. I can't escape being afraid. Fill me with you right now. My world needs you right now. Wow. Powerful words at the beginning. Uh, listen to the song. Um, may you hear the voice of God, and may it prepare your heart for what God has for us this morning. Show me your face, fill up this space, my world needs you right now, my world needs you. I can't escape being afraid. Fill me with you right now. My world needs you right now. Show me your face. Fill up this space. My world needs you. Space. My world needs you right now. 
I'm not ashamed to say. Corinthians 16, 13. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. We continue with our series, continue with being in the wilderness uh, in this time. Follow with me as we read the introductory paragraph. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. You know, every time I read that, and I, as I've read it through the weeks, I have to pause right there. It's like, yeah, I wish that wasn't true. Um, but we don't naturally follow God. Uh, uh, the gravitational pull is not toward God. It's away from God. Um, and it's oftentimes in these struggle, uh, difficult, suffering, trial times that we come back to God. God gets our attention, and we surrender and bow the knee, and that's what he does. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. And if that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's continue the journey together. 
So this morning, um, what we want to look at is um, what I've entitled, You Are Special. You're special. You're chosen. I want you. I desire you. I value you. I cherish you. You know, I'm a professional counselor, uh, professional life coach. I, God has given me the privilege of sitting with thousands of uh, people through the years. And, uh, you know, in many ways, um, what I do for a living is simply help people understand how special they are. Um, as, a, as a counselor friend of mine said years ago, you know, good counseling is nothing more than holding up a mirror to somebody and helping them see themselves clearly as God sees them. And that is the reflection of being an image bearer, to be validated and affirmed that you are special. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, Exodus 19, man, that's what God affirms with his people. You are special. So let's go to work deliberately and intentionally. Uh, pick up your pen, and I have three questions for you. Engage. First question that I would offer you is, this is really a bad question, because the answer is yes and no. Never, never ask a yes or no question. So I'm, I'm going to give you an easy one. You've got a 50-50 chance. Can you follow directions, orders, and guidelines? Can you? Um, what I want you to understand there is um, unless we are teachable, unless we can surrender, unless we have some sense of respect for authority, um, we'll never get to where we want to go. We're more likely to gravitate some sort of addiction sort of comfort. You know, one of the things about addiction, um, and we're all addicts in some form, is that addicts have authority problems. The research shows that. It's like, I don't like uh, uh, submitting, I like being in control, because addiction is the illusion, and I mean the illusion, if not the delusion, uh, that I'm in control. And so somehow, we have to gain um, this sense of authority and respect, even mission, if we have any hope of journeying through life well. Abigail and I, my youngest daughter, we uh, watched uh, Freedom Riders the other night. Freedom Riders, true story, uh, based on a true story of a school teacher who goes in um, to the Watts area um, of Los Angeles uh, and, and is a school teacher. And it's really cool how she faces the challenges of being in, the, in a school that was just chaotic. And so much of it is that she had to gain those kids' respect. And when she did, she was able to transform their lives because she really cared about them. But the, the initial issue was they had no respect for her. They didn't trust her. They could not follow her, and they weren't going to. And guys, I'm telling you, 
if we can't uh, somehow overcome our authority issues, our disrespect issues, we will never be Jesus followers. We can read the Bible all you want to. But one of the pieces of, of uh, being a Jesus follower is obedience. Now, how does that work? So that leads me to my second question. What three words come to your mind when you hear the word obedience? Now, this is where I really wish that we were in the training room at Ceasefire and I could work off my dry board and I, we would just do a brainstorming session at this point. Uh, but I can't do that. But I, but I want you to think, what three words come to your mind? Um, when you think of obedience. What's that, John? Fight. There we go. Excellent. John says fight. I love that. Um, obedience. You know, I I grew up um, in a church going home. I'm very grateful for that. You know, I was in Sunday school all of my life. Um, but so much of my experience was legalistic. I mean, to me, obedience meant being nice, not getting into trouble, doing the right thing. And I think obedience is much more robust, much bigger than that. I mean, the three words that I would offer you in terms of obedience that I think biblical obedience is getting at is number one is respect, respect for authority. And then there has to be trust. There is no obedience if there's not trust. It's born out of a relationship. Obedience that's not um, uh, connected to some kind of relational trust is, you know, just a matter of willpower and discipline. And it, as I often say, it's like running a marathon in a cul-de-sac. I mean, eventually, you're going to run into a house, and it's over. You will not continue if there's not trust. And then, as my good friend John says, this is what the Bible means by biblical obedience. Fight. You're in a war. I mean, what is, you know, like you, uh, I wasn't in the military. I wish I'd been in the military. If I hadn't been... Uh, in that Vietnam era, and we're all scared to death and doing everything we could to avoid being in the military, um, I would have joined. I had two uncles that was in the military. I played Army and military games growing up as a little kid. All my life loved it, wish I'd have been in the military. But when you, uh, as my understanding is in the military, and you pull up in the, in the bus, and you get off the bus, and the drill sergeant's in your face, and I guess you've already had your hair cut by then or something. And he says, I want you to be obedient. <laughs> I mean, it makes me laugh because what is obedience to a military setting? Uh, I actually Google it, and I've got a 12-page article on obedience in a military sense. And I guarantee that it's not about being nice. It really is learning about authority and respect, trusting your officer, believing in him, and there's good officers and bad officers. But the more that trust is there, like I will go into battle for that guy because I know he cares for me, 
then there's more fight in the soldier. And that's what it means. And what God does in this passage as he's building his nation in Exodus 19 is he basically says, you guys are special, but I want you to obey. What does that look like? And that's what we're going to cover today. You're special. So the third question, finally, before we go to the passage, third question, who do you know that's in the wilderness now? And again, as we continue to say through this whole series, we all are. But I would hope that even that question would alert you to just the idea that, that those around you need some encouragement. I was just talking with Paul before we got started. Just, just this past week, I, I have been, I've become aware of just how fearful and paranoid some people have become. I mean, I'm trying to be as respectful to the to the whole process as I can, but you know, I don't feel like that I'm living in some sort of paranoid fear and trepidation. But there are people out there that are. I mean, they're scared to death, um, and uh, that's just no way to live, even in the wilderness. So be aware of that. Be used in any way you can to comfort those uh, that are in that kind of fearful situation. So. You are special. Turn over to Exodus 19. That's the passage that we're looking at. And um, what's interesting about this passage, Exodus 19, is uh, the children of Israel have been in the wilderness now for a little less than three months, about 50 days. And, um, you know, as we've talked the last several weeks, you know, they've obviously crossed the Red Sea. That's the that's the uh, big moment. It's the resurrection of the New Testament. I mean, uh, the resurrection event of the Old Testament, just like Easter Sunday, the resurrection is for us in the New Testament. And there's been these episodes of uh, hunger and uh, uh, water and all, all those kinds of issues. And now it's like, you know, God's taken them through some initial boot camp type training and miracle uh, episodes, and now he's ready to more deliberately build his people. And so what, he, what he's communicating here as we start is that he wants them to realize what a treasure they are. When was the last time that you sensed God saying to you, you're my treasure. You're really special. Um, I've spent the last two weeks with Abigail, my youngest daughter. We haven't had just two weeks alone, maybe ever, <laughs> just the two of us. And it has been so cool, so cool. Carla's been with uh, Audrey out in Dallas, and uh, Abigail and I have just had a great time. And she's more special to me today than she was two weeks ago. I've got to know her a lot better. Special. Follow with me as we read Exodus 19. Three months after leaving Egypt, the Israelites entered the wilderness of Sinai. They followed the route from Rephidim, arrived at the wilderness of Sinai, and set up camp. Israel camped there facing the mountain. What's interesting is Mount Sinai, as we know it, is also Mount Horab. 
And over in Exodus chapter 2, that's where um, Moses initially gets his uh, walking orders. So he's right back to where he was in the episode of the burning bush. And they're right there. Moses remembers this was a special place. And God's getting ready to do something really special once again in this place. As Moses went up to meet God, God called down to him from the mountain, speak to the house of Jacob, tell the people of Israel, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now, that's an important part of this because we always say that remembering is such a critical part of our walk with God. And so the first thing that God tells Moses is make sure they remember. I'm not asking them to just kind of obey me out of some sort of vacuum. I'm going to ask them to obey someone that has fought for them and has cared for them that is trustworthy. So he continues, and this is known as the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, there's the Noetic uh, Covenant, the Abraham Covenant, the David Covenant, Christ Covenant. This is the Mosaic Covenant, and it reads like this. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant out of all peoples, you'll be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from. In other words, God's saying, you know, I, I can choose anybody. I can choose anybody. But you're special, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, anybody that's familiar with a little bit of your New Testament over in uh, Peter, First Peter and Second Peter, we're known as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But what God is saying right here as his treasure is that by my grace, by my order of acceptance, by my standard of acceptance, I choose you. It's not because of your merit, not because you're so perfect, but it's out of grace that I choose you. And he continues, this is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. Moses came back and called the elders of Israel together and set before them all these words which God had commanded him. And the people were unanimous in their response. Everything God says, we will do. Now you can write right there, and again, obviously I'm reading from the message. When they say, we will do, they're saying, obviously, we'll be obedient or better said, I think, in my friend John's language and in contemporary language, what it really means is, we will fight for you. That's what obedience really means. We will fight. It's not about being nice. Uh, it's not about making sure nobody knows that you failed. It's no, we're going to fight. We're going to be like men, and we're going to get dirty. For you, God. Moses took the people's answer back to God. And then this idea of, of God's treasure is he all along is giving them a great story. He keeps reminding all, the, the, the story of the Red Sea. Great story, great story, great story. What 
engages our heart, but a great story. Uh, you know, we're all watching movies and Netflix series and reading ho hopefully a little bit more. It's because story awakens our heart, and he's given us this great story. And so the passage continues. God said to Moses, get ready. I'm about to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people can listen in and trust you completely when I speak with you. Again, Moses reported the people's answer to God. I mean, I love the creativity of God. It's like, I'm going to create this big cloud. They're going to be wild by the cloud. Uh, my voice is going to come forth from the cloud. I'm going to speak to you, Moses. You're going to speak to the people. This is going to be a wow. But what he's doing is he is calling the people in this passage to holiness. That's why obedience is so important. Guys, this is serious. God calls us to be holy people. This is what he's doing with the Israelites. God said to Moses, go to the people, and for the next two days, get these people ready, ready to meet the holy God, the holy God, not just any God, the holy God. Have them scrub their clothes so that on the third day, they'll be fully prepared. See the symbolism there? On the third day, on Easter Sunday, they'll be ready. That's why we wear all that crazy stuff on Easter. It's kind of symbolic of scrubbing our clothes, being ready. Because on the third day, God will come down on Mount Sinai and make his presence known to all the people, post boundaries for the people all around, telling them, warning, don't climb the mountain. Don't even touch its edge. Now, God's not being cruel or legalistic. It's like, respect my holiness. Whoever touches the mountain dies a certain death, and no one is to touch that person. He's to be stoned. Talk about social distancing. <laughs> that, that's serious. That's right. Stoned or shot with arrows, shot to death, animal or man, whichever, put to death. A long blast from the horn will signal that it's safe to climb the mountain. And Moses went down the mountain to the people and prepared them for the holy meeting. And they gave their clothes a good scrubbing. Then he addressed the people, be ready in three days. Don't even sleep with a woman. No sex. Isn't that wild? Um, I just had a session with a couple this week. And man, they are in a heap, a heap of burning trouble. And um, part of what I subscribe to them is no sex for 30 days. Because the sex thing had become so crazy in their relationship and was a symbol for everything. If we have sex, everything is good. And guess who thought that? I'll leave that to your imagination. And, you know, just like what Second Corinthians um, 6 says, Paul says, you know, for a certain season, sometimes it's really important to disengage from sex for the sake of your prayer life is the way the passage reads. And really, it would, it would be clearer, I think, in everyday language if the passage said it, it would be better for your development of intimacy because that's what prayer is, developing an intimate conversation with God. So withhold from sex is what God's even telling Moses here because this is holy ground. I want you to be fully ready for an intimate encounter with the holy God. And then, he, and then he takes them through in this developing the, the, uh, um, the treasure. 
I want you to be all in. And this is all in. Continue. On the third day at daybreak, there was a loud clap of thunder. Loud claps of thunder. Flashes of lightning. A thick cloud covering the mountain and an ear-piercing trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp shuddered in fear. Again, eliciting respect for authority. Ready to surrender. You talk about a Marine drill sergeant kind of perspective. It's like, we just got off the bus, we just got our head shaved, and we are ready to be obedient. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at attention, <laughs> military view, at the base of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all smoke because God had come down on it as fire. Smoke poured from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain shuddered and heaved. The trumpet blast grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered in thunder. God ascended to the peak of Mount Sinai. God called Moses up to the peak, and Moses climbed up. And God said to Moses, go down. Warn the people not to break through the barricades to get a look at God, lest many of them die. And the priests also warned them to prepare themselves for the holy meeting, lest God break out against them. And Moses said to God, but the people can't climb Mount Sinai. You've already warned us telling us, post boundaries around the mountain, respect the holy mountain. And God told him, go down and then bring Aaron back up with you, but make sure that the priests and the people don't break through and come up to God lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people, and then it says he said to them in chapter 20 is the giving of, of, of the Ten Commandments. God wanted the people to be all in. I treasure you. You're special. I've chosen you out of my grace. I've given you a great three-dimensional real-life story. I want you to be all in. But God has his boundaries, and it's, all, it's very clear through that whole passage. And the critical part of boundaries is responsibility. What does it mean to be a man? To be re able to respond and I respond to my marching orders every day as a good soldier would a rebellious soldier and we need to learn this idea of God's boundaries if we're ever to be obedient in a healthy sense um, and this is the covenant and there's three parts to the covenant. And the covenant could be summarized in three phrases that we use in our weddings. I have the privilege to, um, um, to do a wedding every now and then. I've done uh, a number of weddings through the years, uh, mainly with friends. Um, somebody told me that I could go into the wedding business. It's like, yeah, but a wedding will ruin a good Saturday afternoon. You know, and I'm, I'm not going to do that. So. But it's a privilege um, to do a wedding. And the, a wedding is a covenant, and this is the Mosaic Covenant. And there on your notes, there's three phrases that God's asking the people to embrace. The first phrase, in, in terms of being responsible, is the phrase, I do. God asked them, um, tell, tell them, you're my special people. Um, will you pledge? Will you pledge? yourself to me. And the people say, I do. 
And that's one of the first things that we do in a wedding is get it, get the I do in there. There's a lot to follow typically, but, but you know, in the weddings that I do, I get that I do in there pretty quick, you know, because that follows the covenant because the first part of a covenant is I do, I pledge, I'll be obedient. But, you know, it's like in, in, in some sense, even when I do a wedding, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, dude, you're in over your head. You don't have any idea what you just pledged to. None of us do. Because the second phrase is to a, to a covenant is I receive. I receive. It's like, am I teachable? Can I receive instruction? Because that's the second part of the covenant. second part of the covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant, is God giving the Ten Commandments. And, and it's like, even like when I do a wedding, you know, I'll, I'll do a charge. I'll, I'll do a charge to the groom, and I'll do a charge to the bride, and I'm giving them some instructions. Of course, they don't remember anything that I'm saying, uh, but I always give them the script uh, so they can go back and read it. But it's like kind of giving them the Ten Commandments, and that's what God did. You've got to be able to receive. You've got to be able to take orders or to take instruction. And then, and then thirdly, the third part of the covenant is I will. I will. I will fight for you. It, it's in the Mosaic Covenant, the I will part of the covenant is the execution. Um, can I show up and be obedient and do the sacrifices and, 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 and engage in uh, the covenant. And of course, you know, all the I wills was to show the people of Israel that they couldn't do it on their own. It was leading them up. It was a, simply a preview of coming attractions of what Jesus would accomplish in the atonement and the ultimate I will. I will die for you. But a, but a, but a, but a covenant commitment is to say every day, I do. I pledge my obedience. I receive your instruction. That's what we do when we have our quiet time, and we hopefully we're doing more listening than talking. We're receiving God's manna, His Ten Commandments, His structural guidelines of uh, how to be pleasing to Him. And then it's I will, I will, I will execute the plan. That's the covenant. Um, I've loved our series, um, and part of the reason I've loved our series is because of using the Band of Brothers, Easy Company, as kind of our case study. I want to show you a clip that, that's so powerful, I think, um, in this idea of obedience and, and being special. And this is the true story um, of, of, of part of um, Captain Sobel's leadership. Captain Sobel was, was the original uh, leader of Easy Company and their training. And, of course, Dick Winters later on became because Captain Sobel was relieved of his command. And um, what I'm going to show you is a clip where just, uh, just before the clip that I'm going to show you, several of the uh, – of the, uh, uh, junior officers got together, and they were so um, uh, angry uh, and unwilling to continue to follow Captain Sobel 
that they all wrote a letter, and as they were writing the letter, that they would no longer serve under Captain Sobel's command, that they even said in their little gathering, you know, we could go before a firing squad. I mean, that was the level of the military risk of not following orders. And they said, I can't follow Sobel anymore. And they wrote out what they were willing to say was our death sentence. The higher up commanding officer gets that. He calls them all in. First thing he does is he relieves the senior junior officer of his command all along, and he just kicks him out of the unit. And the other men uh, are reduced in rank, and then they walk out of the meeting. And that's where we pick up the scene. So these guys have just been disciplined, narrowly missing the firing squad. The senior officer didn't put him before the firing squad. But I want you to watch what happens with Captain Sobel when he is confronted by the commanding officer. Watch this. Sir, most of the men would, would never do this, but I believe just a few of the sergeants may have felt their loyalty lay more to the platoon than to the company. And these few sergeants convinced all of the other NCOs in your company to turn in their stripes? As staff sergeants, they have a great amount of influence, sir, but as I say, the rest are good men. I know them. I, I can work with them. Business of the winter's court martial has been an unpleasant distraction. Indeed, indeed it has, sir. However, your command of Easy Company has been exemplary. Thank, thank you, sir. In fact, except for the actions of a few of your non-coms, I believe you fielded one of the finest companies of soldiers I've ever seen. Yes, sir. Herbert. Division has established a parachute training school at Chilton Foley. The idea is for non-infantry types who were vital to the coming invasion, such as doctors and chaplains, to take jump training there. Frankly, I can't think of anyone more qualified to command such a school than you are. Sir? I'm reassigning you to Chilton Foley. Losing easy company? War if it needs you elsewhere. Permission to speak, sir. Granted. Is who who will be replacing me? Lieutenant Meehan from Baker Company, a senior. Good luck at Chilton Foley, Herbert. Don't let us down now. 
closer. So Captain Sobel, what we see in that uh, scene is Captain Sobel was a great trainer. Um, he had trained Easy Company at Jump School in Georgia. He had put them together. You know, you know, it's kind of like a football coach who builds a championship team. And then in the midst of his, you know, getting ready to play the championship game or continue for a second championship, he is fired. And Captain Sobel was relieved of his duties. And the commanding officer sent him back to jump school to train doctors and chaplains <laughs> to jump out of airplanes. Now, that's an insult. You know, you're a warrior, um, and you're being trained or, or being assigned to train doctors and chaplains? Anybody can do that. But my point in showing this is that the men could not follow Captain Sobel. They would not. They would not be obedient to someone that they couldn't trust. And that is the whole point of obedience from a biblical perspective, is that we are asked, the children of Israel were asked, to trust somebody who was trustworthy who had sacrificed for them, who would give, uh, care for them, who was always attentive to them. And out of that kind of intimate relationship, what God does every day is he gives orders. He gives orders. And guys, I'm telling you that if we don't hear our marching orders every day, from the voice of an intimate, caring, loving, real voice, and you try to make this Christian life thing, this Jesus-following thing, some kind of disciplined, uh, moral journey, guys, the Christian life is not about moralism. It is less about moralism and more about realism. It, this is real. This ain't like kind of like being nice, you know, you know, like the nice kid in your school, you know, that I was not the nice kid in my school. <laughs> you know, I'm sure my teachers would have liked for me to be better. But it's like we're called to be warriors, gentlemen, um, and we're called to be fighters. That what it means for us to follow God is to fight. I want to read you um, something here. Um, 
and this comes out of John Eldridge. Um, he says this, you must fight. God calls us to be obedient. What does that mean? It is more about being a warrior than a nice guy. God set this desire in the heart of every man because every man will find himself in a great battle. The Bible promises it, it so. We live in a world at war, an epic struggle of good and evil begun before the dawn of time. Learning how to fight in this battle is essential for every man. I, I don't want to know who you're fighting with. I mean, I make a living on that. I want to know what you're fighting for. What are you fighting for? A cause, a mission. I want to close with uh, a quote by G.K. Chesterton. I love this quote. Of course, G.K. Chesterton was the teaching mentor of C.S. Lewis. It says this on courage. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Quote, he that will lose his life, the same shall save it, unquote. It's not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. It's actually a piece of everyday advice for sailors or mountaineers. It might be printed in an alpine guide or a drill book. The paradox is the whole principle of courage, even of quiet, earthly, or quiet, brutal courage. A man cut off by the sea may save his life if he will risk it on the precipice. He can only get away from death by continually stepping within an inch of it. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. And in, and in the final two sentences, listen to this. He must not merely wait for death, for then he will be a suicide and will not escape. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it, he must desire life like water and yet drink death like wine. Wow. Desire life like water and yet drink death like wine. You're special. God has made you so. He has chosen you and chosen me. He's given us a great story, an epic story. And he wants us all in. The question is, will you fight? Will you fight? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us uh, this great epic story, and you've given us uh, a covenant. You've married us. I do. I receive. I will. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for our time. May we live out uh, this uh, life. Uh, as obedient soldiers. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys.